We're on a journey through the book of Genesis, and we are on the home stretch. Today is the next to the last chapter, Genesis chapter 49. Here it is dramatized on the New Media Bible. Jacob is an old man. This is his last breaths as he calls his children, his 12 sons around his deathbed. He's about to give up the ghost and be joined to his father's. But first, he must give them blessings. And some of them are rather strange, and some of them you're going to think, how is that a blessing? Stick with me. And Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Gather yourselves together, and hear, ye sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father. Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, and the excellency of power. Unstable as water, thou shalt not excel, because thou wentest up to thy father's bed, then defiledst thou it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brethren. Instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. O oh, my soul, come not thou into their secret. Unto their assembly, mine honor, be not thou united. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they digged down a wall. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion and as an old lion. Who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be, binding his foal unto the vine, and his ass's colt unto the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine, and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with wine, and his teeth white with milk. Zebulun shall dwell at the haven of the sea, and he shall be for an haven of ships, and his border shall be unto Zidon. Issachar is a strong ass couching down between two burdens, and he saw that rest was good and the land that it was pleasant, and bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant to tribute. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, an adder in the path that biteth the horse heels so that his rider shall fall backward. I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. Gad, a troop shall overcome him, but he shall overcome at the last. Out of Asher his bread shall be fat, and he shall yield royal dainties. 
Naftali. Naftali is a hind let loose. He giveth goodly words. Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well, whose branches run over the wall. The archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him. But his bow abode in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Even by the God of thy father who shall help thee, and by the Almighty who shall bless thee with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lieth under, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. The blessings of thy father have prevailed above the blessings of my progenitors unto the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him that was separate from his brethren. Benjamin shall raven as a wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey and at night he shall divide the spoil. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel, and this is it that their father spake unto them and blessed them. And he charged them and said unto them, I am to be gathered unto my people, bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephraim the Hittite for a possession of a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah. And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. In our journey through Genesis, we're following the story of Israel. Their roots were found in their father Abraham, his son Isaac, and grandson Jacob, who have been promised the land of Canaan. Yet they possess no land in Canaan other than this grave site, this field and this cave where Jacob asked to be taken. Now they're in Egypt because of a famine, and they're still there now enjoying the land of plenty. Their son and brother is Joseph, the prime minister of Egypt. But one day a pharaoh is going to arise who doesn't know Joseph, and they're going to be enslaved. And 400 years later, they're going to be freed. That's what the story of the book of Exodus is about. And they are going to, over a period of four year, 40 years, make their way back to their homeland. And the land is going to be divided to them regionally, according to tribes. I put the map up there because it's connected to some of these prophecies. Now keep in mind, Jacob is dying. He's blind. He's called his sons around him. And he speaks to them what he believes is the truth. Who wants to be lied to? Nobody does. But sometimes you don't want the truth either, right? Somebody comes to you and says, uh, brother, I want to tell you the truth in love. You're like going to cringe. So I really want to look at the first four sons today, but first let's just briefly cover the, the last eight, beginning with verse 13. Zebulon shall dwell by the haven of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his borders shall adjoin Sidon. 
So there we have Zebulon, there by the Mediterranean Sea, called the Great Sea in the picture, as well as close to Galilee, uh, which was called a sea. I wondered why they called it a sea, but it gets so wavy there, it's like the lowest, in terms of the Earth's elevation, lowest freshwater lake in the world. And when the wind picks up, it, it has some serious whitecaps. In fact, Tiberias, which is on the coast of the Galilee, has a seawall. <laughs> so call it the Sea of Galilee. It, it is uh, rather like the ocean. Uh, verse 14, Issachar is a strong donkey lying down between two burdens. He saw that rest was good and that the land was pleasant. He bowed his shoulder to bear burden and became a band of slaves. And if you see where Issachar is, he's between Zebulon and um, the Jordan River, and this is a great place for farming. It's not real hilly, so you, you don't want to waste great land for farming on sheep and goats when they can climb hills. And so it's a great place for that. He sees some, for some reason that Iskar is a strong guy and they're going to be laborers. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper by the path that bites a horse's heels so that its riders shall fall backward. Dan is the tribe of Samson. Samson would attack the enemy from behind Samson was one of the judges in the book of Judges. Dan also tripped up the people of Israel. The tribe didn't like where they were assigned, and they moved north uh, up there by Lebanon and Syria and fell into idolatry and actually caused the northern kingdom to fall into idolatry as well. So um, this is somewhat a cryptic warning of them. Verse 18 seems to be part of it, but it's like in the midst of these prophecies, Jacob cries out, I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. This is the first place in the scriptures where the name Yeshua appears. I have waited for your Yeshua, O Yahweh, literally is what he's saying. In the midst of these problems his kids are going to have in the future, he's warning them, he's calling them. All these things, I believe, are redemptive. He's calling them to make change. Oh, we need Yeshua. We need salvation. Samson brought salvation from oppression, but he was no Jesus. Verse 19, Gad, a troop shall tramp over him, and he shall triumph at last. This is a play on Hebrew words. In fact, all this is a play on Hebrew words. Uh, different translations are all over the place. Don't try to make sense out of them all. Just go with one and glean what you can. He literally said, Gad, Gadud, good. Playing with words. That Gad's going to be a warrior. Father of warriors. And it, it was so as it was with other ones. Verse 20, bread from Asher shall be rich and he shall yield royal dainties. And the area he was aligned was also rich in raising up a farm. In Deuteronomy 33, where Moses' dying words are blessings over the tribes, he leaves Simeon out, doesn't even mention him. 
But he says, Asher shall dip his foot in oil. Just how blessed he's going to be. And so there have been oil excavation up in that region looking for oil based on that verse as though that was a prophecy of oil. I, I think the oil mentioned is the oil that you would want to eat, drink, or make soap out of, or burn lamps with. Verse 21, Naphtali is a deer let loose, and he uses beautiful words. What in the world is that? Well, in Matthew 4, it says that Jesus left Nazareth. He dwelt in Capernaum by the sea in the regions of Zebulon and Naphtali. Then it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, and he quotes Isaiah 9, the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. Most of the red letters in your red letter edition Bible, most of the words of Jesus that are recorded in the Gospels, most of them, were spoken in the land of Naphtali. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of them that proclaim good news. Verse 22, Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a well. His branches run over the wall. The archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him, and hated him. But his bow remained in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Now, Judah is the forefather of the Messiah, not Joseph. But were it not for Joseph, there would be no Messiah. Were it not for Joseph, the stone made without hands would not have come the way he did. The great shepherd came because of Joseph. His vine reaches over the wall beyond his lifetime. Even though his Family had done him wrong. He reached out to them in a rather cunning way, but he restored them. His, his fruitfulness continues. And the people of Israel became who they are and are what they are because of this son, Joseph. His brothers wanted to kill him. They kidnapped him. They sold him into slavery. They wanted to end him and his dreams that made them jealous. Verse 25, By the God of your Father who will help you, and by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessing of the breasts and of the womb. You're blessed with children. You're blessed above and beneath. You're blessed with a wife. You're blessed in every way. Verse 26, The blessings of your Father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors. Up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills, they shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. You reckon Joseph got a blessing? He had already made adjustments. The egotistical little brother bragging about how his brothers were going to bow down to him, that got burned up while he was uh, in prison and forced to be a slave. Verse 27, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning he shall devour the prey, and at night he shall divide the spoil. What in the world is that? Well, I'll suggest something, and you can disagree with me. 
and we'll still be good friends. Judah and Benjamin, see they border each other. The temple, for the most part, was built in the land of Benjamin. And the border between the two regions runs through the temple court. The altar, for the most part, is in Benjamin's land. The Hebrew word for altar has the letters inside of it that form the Hebrew word for wolf. What does the wolf have to do with the altar? Well, the altar was the place where sacrificial lambs were offered, some wolf's favorite food, right? (laughs) Were offered in place of the people to pay for their sins. So part of the word altar forms the word wolf. Could this be a prophecy saying that Benjamin's going to have something to do with the altar that would devour the flesh of the sacrifice? I don't know, but I just thought it was interesting. Let's pray. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that your word would bring life to us in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. My favorite verse in that section is verse 18. I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. Or I have waited for Yeshua, which means salvation, O Yahweh or Yehovah. I have waited. Now, let's go on to the sermon. The blessing in being chastened. There are some preachers that preach and declare that Jacob held grudges, that he cursed and blessed his sons. He did not curse them. He warned them. He exhorted them. He prophesied to them and said hard things to them that they needed to hear. If all we ever do is coddle our kids and tell them nice things, we're going to raise narcissists. Maybe that's part of the problem in our country. I don't know. But there are times a parent has to be willing to give up the dream of being your kid's best friend. Our children are our best friends now. But let me tell you, growing up, not so much. You got to be willing. And so here, these guys are grown men with children of their own, and even some of them are grandpas because Daddy Jacob is old, and he's telling them the truth, that if they don't make adjustments, they're going to pass this stuff down to their descendants. And you can see it in Israel's history. In 1 Chronicles 5, the Chronicles review the history of the Jewish people. So you want a quick survey of Genesis, start the first four chapters, five chapters of Chronicles, and you'll get a quick survey. He says, now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel... Hyphen, go down to verse 3, completes the statement. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, were Hanak, Paulu, Hezron, Carmi. Anybody ever heard of those guys? Don't think so. Because he really didn't take to heart what his daddy told him. He was indeed the firstborn, but because he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, so that the genealogy is not listed according to birthright. He was a firstborn. You know, heroic things should have come through him. Yet Judah prevailed over his brothers, and from him came a ruler, although the birthright was Joseph's. Why? Let's just back up. Anytime you see polygamy in the Bible, you're going to see a lot of problems, a lot of unnecessary drama. 
And Jacob had four wives. The biblical ideal for marriage is one husband and one wife for life. That's, that's God's plan. But sometimes things go awry. And so with polygamy, there's problems. Well, when his favorite wife, his third wife, Rachel, died, Bilhah slept with Reuben, Leah's firstborn son, his first wife's first son. And Jacob heard about it. And apparently Reuben never came to make things right. And this was an indication of his character. Not just his action or his behavior. We're not talking about behavior modification. We're talking about heart change. Something in his heart needed to change. Let's say this statement before we continue with the sermon. Let's read it together. While we cringe at some of these blessings Jacob gave his sons, we must keep in mind this was his last chance to correct them like this, and he did so with great mercy. Where he may have failed before, he must not fail now, and needed to do so in front of them all. They could have rejected what he said because he, had, he didn't have a perfect past either, right? He had had character issues. He was a conniver and a shenanigans, but he had made changes, and so he was concerned about his boys. Why? Because he knew himself. The blessing in being chastened. These blessings conclude with these words. He blessed each one according to his own blessing. He did not curse any of them. He cursed anger, but he did not curse the sons that had problems with anger. So these were blessings. I hope you'll see it before I'm done. If we resist correction, we could be resisting God. If we embrace correction, we could be embracing God. The correction may come to us through our spouse, through our boss, through our brothers, through our leaders, through our parents. Do we reject it? You know their faults. Nobody's perfect in themselves, right? Our perfection comes from Christ. If you reject it, you could be rejecting God, and it could have an impact on your future. Revelation 3, the Lord says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. So these rebukes, these disciplining words, are redemptive. They're a call to repent. They're not curses. Well, it sure sounds like it. No, if he wants his son to be cursed, just leave him alone. And he'll head on down the road to destruction. But not only were the 11 brothers present to hear Reuben dressed down like he was, we're reading it today. Lessons for us. Gather together and hear, you sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you're my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength. The excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. You had so much potential, boy. Unstable as water, you shall not excel. 
because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. And then he must turn to the brothers. He went up to my couch, just in case they didn't know it. Now, how is that merciful? Listen, these boys had pulled some stunts throughout life. He could have blasted them all. But this lack of moral integrity that his firstborn had was a concern to him. The other things he didn't bring up because they'd gotten straightened out. But his first three had it coming. Now, how should Reuben take this? Should he make an adjustment? By the time they had reached the promised land, what does he do? The tribe of Reuben doesn't want to go into Canaan and take the land that was promised. They and a couple other tribes wanted to stay on the east side of the Jordan because it was nice. Stopping short of the full promise. Now, Moses allowed them to do it because they promised to help them inhabit the rest of the land. But Reuben didn't help them all the way. They stopped short. So there was an issue in his character that he passed down to his kids called shortcuts. Lack of integrity. It's just there. The tribe of Reuben had no notable heroes. Scholars have searched and searched and searched. No notable heroes. They were involved in some battles, but no names stick out. Nobody names their kids after Reuben's kids. This is tough. What he's telling his son is tough. David knew this principle of listening to correction that comes to you from someone imperfect and gleaning wisdom from it. He wrote in Psalm 141, verse 5, Let the righteous strike me. It shall be a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it. Take it. Listen. Listen to the wisdom. Nobody really walks in such perfection that they can flawlessly bring you a word of correction on a platter so it's palatable to you. It's easy to take when they tell you something nice before they tell you something harsh, and then they conclude by telling you something nice. It's called the sandwich principle. But once people learn that, you tell them something nice, they feel like you're setting them up. So in the long run, it doesn't work. What is the correction? Heed it. Adjust it. You'll be blessed, and so will your descendants. The tribe of Simeon was absorbed by Judah. We'll see that in the map. Proverbs, David's son Solomon, who also needed a lot of correction, but he did have wisdom. He said, open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. If someone tells you the truth, they're worthy of respect. Right? If you have a piece of, I have these cowboy teeth, I could eat corn on the cob through a picket fence. If someone tells me I've got spinach between my teeth, I could get offended at it. How dare you? But I've learned that's dumb. Thank you. I'll make an adjustment and stop annoying everybody all day long. 
So while eating chili today, if you notice something like that, by all means, do me a favor and bring that word of correction. All right, see where Simeon is? Throughout their history, eventually Simeon got absorbed into Judah and it became all known as the land of Judah. Now, what did Simeon do wrong? Well, let's read their blessing. Verse 5, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Of course they were brothers, but they really were two peas in a pod. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So while he's allocated a land, it got swallowed up by Judah. What did these boys do? Well, their sister had been violated by the mayor's son of a town called Shechem. So, in an effort to make amends, the men of the city all agreed to be circumcised. And on the third day when they were sore, yep, this is in the Bible, (laughs) Simeon and Levi went in the village out of their anger and killed all the sick men them all. Literally, they tricked them into being circumcised to show their sincerity of repentance for what the mayor's son had done, and then they killed them all. And then they took their animals, their wives and their kids. And this hamstringing an ox, they must have been cruel to their animals too. These were some bad boys. Simeon's not even mentioned in Moses' blessing in Deuteronomy 33. So he must not have taken to heart what Jacob had said. But Levi did. When the children of Israel made the golden calf, you'll read that story. Does anybody remember hearing the story? They were on their journey to the promised land, and while Moses was in the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, they take all their gold and make this golden God, a calf, and began to worship it. One tribe refused to participate. It was the tribe of Levi. It took a stand against it. They were the tribe God chose to be the tribe of priests, the Levites. Moses was of the tribe of Levi. So you see, even though you get corrected, that's not the end of the story if you respond to it rather than resist it. The tribe of Judah brought us the Messiah. Now Judah had been a bad guy. He had participated in the confiscating of all the stuff in the village called Shechem. And he's the one that suggested selling Joseph into slavery. And he's the one that fathered a child with his daughter-in-law after his sons died. He didn't know she was his daughter-in-law at the time. He's the one that called for her stoning when she became known to be pregnant. But he's the one that acknowledged his sin and his lack of righteousness. 
And he's the one that put his life on the line for Benjamin when Joseph was testing them to see if they would do the same thing to Benjamin, allowing him to become a slave. He says, no, it'll kill dad. Let me be the slave. He had made a shift in his life and in his heart. And so God gives him this blessing through Jacob. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. Now, rabbis for centuries have said Shiloh points to the Messiah. The Messiah is going to come through the tribe of Judah. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Listen to this. Binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine, his clothes in the blood of grapes, his eyes are darker than wine, and his teeth whiter than milk. What is all that about? I mean, if you have a donkey, you're not going to tie him to your best grapevine. What do they do? They'll eat it up. So this is great prosperity, but I believe this points to the donkey that the Lord's going to ride. Remember, he sent some disciples to go get a donkey for him to ride, a colt. You'll see it tied and tell the owner the master has need of him. This is a prophetic pointing to the Messiah coming, Shiloh coming. Shiloh is the place where they erected the tabernacle before the temple was built. It points to the Messiah, who's the ultimate temple. When he came, the tabernacle among men, the word of God made flesh. Revelation chapter 5 says, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and loosen its seal. Revelation 19 says of this line of the tribe of Judah, He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. When you stomp grapes, what happens to the hymns of your clothes? They get stained, soaked, soaked in the wine. Wine in the Old Testament is called the blood of grapes. So this is a picture of Jesus, who's the true vine, who treads out the winepress of the wrath of God by taking for us the penalty for sin upon himself and dying for our sins. This is the gospel. Isaiah 53.5 says the chastisement or the chastening of or for our peace was upon him. The ultimate correction he received for me. If the Lord is correcting you, don't run from him. Get close to him. Now, this is such a politically incorrect illustration, but it's all I got. 
If you're raised in a family that believed in spanking with a belt, doubled up, going old school, or even with a switch that they have you choose, the closer you get to the one inflicting punishment upon you, the less it hurts. The further out you get, (laughs) the more swing there is to the punch. If the Lord is going to correct you, get close to Him. Closeness to Him is where change takes place. Can I get an amen? The Lord's chastening can train us all to yield. That's the thing. We've got to yield our will to Him. My son, Proverbs 3, do not despise the chastening of the Lord or the punishing or the disciplining of the Lord, nor detest His correction. For whom the Lord loves, He corrects, just as a father, the son in whom He delights. Well, pastor, I don't know about this sermon. That's in the Old Testament anyway. Well, let's go to the New Testament. Hebrews 12. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. And then he quotes Proverbs 3. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening or discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Who disciplines their kids? I'm not going to ask you how. You do. Who disciplines a neighbor's kids? They're they're not your kids. There was a time when people would do that. You best not do that now. If he doesn't correct us, we're not his kids. The old King James is rather cruel. It says you're bastards. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. No, it's terrible. I hate it. It sucks. But painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Therefore, because this is true, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. If someone's being corrected by the Lord, don't go coddle them and say, how dare they talk to you like that? But encourage them. Say, brother, the story's not over. Consider, sister, consider the truth in what is said. Yes, but I can't believe. Well, believe it. It happened. So, Help us to glean wisdom. Share a biblical principle with them and get them healed up. Sometimes people are chastened by life circumstances. They're reaping what they sow. And they don't need us to rub their noses in it. That's what you get. 
I've been telling you, and, and then heaping shame on them. Just help them overcome their problems. The Lord's chastening can train us all to yield the peaceable fruits of righteousness. Who wants to have peaceable fruit that shows the Lord's righteousness? We're talking about the blessing in being chastened. Now, these words of correction are all redemptive, all right? And maybe you've messed up in the past and lost your job because you wouldn't receive the correction that was coming your way because it was unjust for whatever reason. Hold on, the story's not over. Run to the master and say, Lord, I'm here. I'm sorry. Give me another chance. And he will. He's the God of the second chance and beyond. Amen? Look at this. This is in Revelation chapter 7. I heard how many were marked with the seal of God, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel, from Judah, 12,000, from Reuben, 12,000, from Gad, from Asher, from Naphtali, from Manasseh, from Simeon, oh, there he is, from Levi, from Issachar, from Zebulon, from Joseph, and from Benjamin. Does our Redeemer live? So these are not members of a certain denomination or cult. These are Jews, members of the 12 tribes of Israel, sealed with the seal of God. And then the holy city. We're all, who, who wants to go to the holy city, the new Jerusalem? That's what we're looking for. Revelation 21 describes it. It had a wall, great and high, and 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels. And the names written there, thereon, on these gates, these 12 gates, are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. So on these gates are the names Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulon, Joseph, Benjamin. Is there a blessing in being chastened? There is. What one thing in your life is most unlike Jesus? When the Lord chastens me, he deals with one thing at a time. You may think, boy, he sure is taking a long time with you. Well, he's merciful. So the question today, what one thing does the Lord want to shift in my character? Is it bitterness? Is it sexual sin like Reuben? Is it Doubt? Is it being negative all the time? Is it, is it wanting to correct everybody and not look at our own hearts? What one thing? Let, let's just bow our heads. Lord, I pray that you'd bring to our minds something you want to chasten, something you want to address, something you want to discipline. Or maybe... Maybe they heard that word today. Maybe your spirit underlined something to their spirit. I pray, Lord, we would not leave here without knowing what that one thing is. And I pray, Lord, that you would work with us this week in Jesus' name to grow in that area so that our lives will yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness.
If my people who are called by my name shall seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and pray, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. This is the children's bread. This is for us to apply to ourselves. This is not for us to stick on the world. This is our promise. Lord, help us as your church to turn from our wicked ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans 1, verse 16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is a power of salvation to the Jew first and also to the non-Jew, the Greek, the Gentile. And then it goes on to list problems that will happen in a culture if it rejects God, and we see it happening in our world. Read that, but don't stop. Read the first 11 verses of the next chapter. It deals with us participating in the same stuff. Lord, forgive us for looking down our noses at people when we have the same thing going on in our lives. Amen. Are you hungry? Let's stand. All right. On your marks, get set. I'm going to pronounce a blessing that doesn't have any rebuking in it. <laughs> and when I'm done, I'd like for us to stack the chairs in these three sections. Leave those two alone and leave that one alone. Just stack them in stacks of five. And uh, if you're able to help our youth set up tables and get this room ready, it'd be great. Otherwise, thank you so much for worshiping with us today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as Will Rogers used to say, may the good Lord take a liking to you.